Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Last week, we, uh, we spent uh, some good time uh, talking about the idea of hope, and we were looking at a select few verses for that uh, foundation, for that uh, understanding. That was Psalm 119, 161 through 168. This morning, we're going to go through Psalm 119, verses 169 through 176. And what I want to do today is not so much, um, not so much make an addendum to the message or, or add to the message from last week, but rather uh, talk to you about the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, and understanding understanding its place inside of our life. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through our verses this morning, then we're going to lay a foundation for what uh, this is all about, why we need the Word of God. And then what, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to transition into the verses that I have for you today, and we're going to see how the Word of God really does impact our lives in a very, very practical way. So starting at verse 169 through 176, these are the words of God. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you, and let your ordinances keep me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The Word of God is uh, an integral part of the Christian life. It is something that without it, we don't even understand or know what it is that we believe. We've talked over the past two weeks about the importance of faith and the importance of hope because faith has to rest in something, hope. But our hope is delivered to us, is discovered through our understanding and through our reading and through our learning the Word of God. And so understanding the Word of God is vitally important. In the 176 verses that we find in Psalm 119, uh, half of them, at least half of them, because if you, if you study Psalm 119, you'll see that the objective of the entire psalm is to glory in the Word of God, is to exalt the Word that is our foundation, that the, the very statutes and precepts and commands and laws that we rest on. And so every other, uh, every other line in this great psalm refers to God's Word in some way. Hopefully you noticed that when we began this morning. In verse 169, it talks about the Word of God. 170, the Word of God. In 171, the statutes of God. In 172, the commands of God. In 173, the precepts of God. In 174, it's the law of God. 175, it's the ordinances of God. And last but not least, in 176, it's the commands of God. And every one of the verses in Psalm 119 is structured this way, to contend for the Word of God. It's that important. So I want you to, I want you to rewind all the way back to the beginning of this great psalm so that I can establish some foundations foundations for the Word of God, and then we're going, to, we're going to zoom in on those verses. So the verses that I'm asking you to go to are not going to be on the screen. They're going to be verses that I want you to look up in your Bible. I want you to study. I want you to highlight if you're reading, uh, if you're reading your Bible on a, a, digital, uh, a digital device because it's really easy to, to highlight these. And they will establish a really important foundation for why the Word of God is so important. The first one comes in verse 2, and this is what David says. He says, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies, God's testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. 
The first piece that I think we all need to recognize is that David calls the person who seeks after the word of God, the law of God, the statutes of God, the commands of God. Again, all of those terms are interchangeable. Uh, The person who seeks after those is considered a blessed person. That's, that is what God is wanting. He is wanting a people who search after his heart and understand his ways. So right there, what we have as the foundation is that we ought to look to God's word because we are blessed if we do so. And, and there's not a person I've ever met in my life that says, nah, I'm good. I don't need to be blessed. I'm, I'm fine the way I am. No, everybody wants that. The problem is, is that we choose many weird ways to accomplish blessing in life. And God has given us one way, and that is to pursue him and his word. So then in verse 4, it says this, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. This is an amazing verse, if you'll pause to think about what has been said here. This speaks to the inspiration of God's word in in a most amazing way. God ordained his precepts for a purpose. God inspired his scripture. Scripture tells us, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all of God's word, all of scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. Why is it useful for this? Well, look at what it says. God ordained his precepts that we should keep them diligently. The very purpose of him speaking was for us to know what to do and for us then to do it. So the foundation pieces that we have to begin with in all of this is that number one, God, uh, God says that the blessed person is the one who desires to follow his word. Number two, God made his statutes and commands so that we would follow them. Okay, so And this is true throughout all the generations. We are to share these truths, these commands and statutes with our children. Yesterday, we had a lot going on at our house, and we were, we were busy you know, going in and out and taking care of all kinds of projects that we've been focused on as of late. And when I went out to the backyard to, uh, to talk to Sarah or to, to do something, I can't remember exactly what I was on mission to do at that point, but when I went out to the backyard, I looked over into the jungle gym, into the playhouse, and Sam and Kate and Becca and Joe were all up in the top of this house. And I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, okay, playing house, having fun, doing what kids do, whatever. And I look up there, and I see Sam sitting in a, uh, a camping chair in the top of this playhouse. She's sitting in a camping chair, and she's got her Bible open, which is the Bible that I had when I was a kid. And she's got her Bible open, and she is reading, because Sam can read now, and she's reading First John to her daughters, or to her, to her sisters, right? Probably thinking they're her daughters, but that's just another matter altogether. But anyway, so she's reading First John to her sisters. Now, that, you know, warms a dad's heart. That, that's, that's an exciting thing, and Sarah and I were talking about that for a while. But after dinner, and there's a long story to dinner last night, but after dinner, uh, Sam said, I would like to share something, because at, at the table, we like to share the Word of God, and we like to talk about it. And last night, we were talking about the Psalms, and we were talking about God's statutes, and his commands and how, how joyful they are and how, how they are intended for us now. So we're talking about that. And in the middle of that conversation, Sam said, uh, Daddy, I want to read you something that I, was, that I was sharing with my sisters yesterday. And I said, okay. And I said, can you find it? She went over. She got her Bible. She brought it back. She found this piece in 1 John again. And she says, guess what? This is saying the same thing that our memory verse is saying. And I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to see if she makes this connection. So our memory verse has been Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And, and so it's all about being kind to one another and preferring your brother over yourself. And all of this is basically Romans version of that famous Philippians passage. So she's reading 1 John. And in it, it says that we're supposed to love one another as Christ loved us. And she goes, that's what we're called to do, Dad. And all of a sudden, Sarah and I just jump into this place of joy and tears and excitement, all kinds of things, because we want our kids to get this. Why do we want our kids to get this? Because the blessed person is the one who follows the word of God, and God ordained those precepts that we would walk in them. And in order to do that, we have to learn them. We have to grow in them. And that's what we're trying to do with our kids. So if you have kids, I strongly encourage you, uh, spend time each day reading and studying and, and, and proclaiming the word of God to 
your children. They will begin to be like sponges. They will soak that up, and before too long, you're going to notice that they're speaking it back to you, which is powerful. So those are a couple of foundations. Let's keep moving in the foundations. Verse 9 of this great psalm says this. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep their way pure? We understand why David writes it this way. By keeping it according to your word. You want to know how to keep your your way pure? How to keep your life pure? Do everything you do in accordance with God's word. You see the foundation that's being laid? The importance of God's word? If you want to be pure, all Christians should want to be pure, then you're going to operate according to God's word. Verse 13 goes on and says, With my lips I have told you all the ordinances of your, uh, with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. Another important foundational principle. You don't just get to hear and study the word and reflect on it yourself and be overjoyed about it. David proclaimed it to the world around him. He declared that word to others. So he says, With my lips I have told of. All of the ordinances of your mouth. Notice what he doesn't say there. This is really important. He doesn't say, with my lips, I've told of all the cool things that I feel you've done for me in my life, Lord. What is he declaring? He's declaring the truth of God as it is known and understood. The ordinances of your mouth. There, according to David, that's something to brag about. That's something to boast about. That's something to declare to the world. Skip on down to verse 15. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. The word of God is also something that we should be thinking on all the time. It's something that we should always have uh, before us, right? Uh, this This is evidenced not only by the rest of Scripture and what it would declare to us, but it's also evidenced by the very uh, life of the Jewish people. They were constantly reading the Word of God. They had these little pieces that they wore on their clothing and on their foreheads to remind them of the Word of God and to repeat it and to recite it and to recall it. It was a part of their culture. And sadly... Sadly, church, in in the modern world, we have put our Bibles on a shelf somewhere and we've made all kinds of excuses why we don't actually need them. But this is not what the Word of God would tell us. We cannot experience the living God without the Word of that living God. This is really important. So skip on down to verse 20. And again, all of this is just foundational components to this. Verse 20. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. Do you see the heart of David? This should be the foundation of wanting or desiring the word of God. My soul is crushed with longing. I am so hungry for your word that it feels the same way that I feel. It's the the same verbiage that David would use when he's crushed by those around him. He says, I am crushed with longing for your word. I hope that that is true of you. And if it is not, I hope that it becomes true for you because this is what's true for a Christian, a follower of God. Verse 21 says, you rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Anybody who says, we don't need the Bible, we can throw this stuff away. Look at what David says. David's pretty clear. You rebuke the arrogant. I got it all figured out. I don't need anything. Mm, That's a scary proposition uh, to be corrected by the God of the universe just because you don't want to listen to his word. The cursed who wander from your commandments. Verse 23 expands a little further. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. How does David feel as a foundational piece to the word of God? How does David feel about the word of God? It's more important to meditate on the word of God than to hold favor with princes. Right? Very, very powerful. Uh, Verse 26. I have told of my ways... I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Look at verse 27. Make me understand your way and your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. You want to know how to meditate on the wonders of God? Well, what David says is that you need God to be your teacher. And God needs to teach you his precepts. If God will teach you his precepts found in the word of God, then you will begin to understand the wonders of God. 
You'll, be under, you'll begin to understand the wonders that God uh, gives out in this world. Verse 38 is just unbelievably powerful to me. Verse 38 says this, Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. I meet people that say, I don't know how to spend a lot of time in prayer. I just, I just, there's a lot of boredom there. I can't seem to push through it. Or, or I don't really care for singing songs to God. Or I don't really care for worship time. Because for me, that's just something that I can't get into. I can't understand it. Let me offer a suggestion for how you can fix that. Because I do believe it needs to be fixed. The suggestion for how you fix it is that you, you ask God to establish his word inside of you because his word established in you is what produces reverence for him. You don't have a reverence for God or many don't have a reverence for God. Why? Because they've put their Bible on a shelf somewhere. They've hung up God's word a long time ago and they don't understand the value and the need for it. Again, all I'm doing right now is establishing the foundation. When we get to these final verses, you're going to see the power in it and the practical nature of understanding God's word. Now we're going to skip down a little bit further here, and we're going to go to uh, verse 75. Here's what David says in verse 75. He says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Wait, what? You, you have afflicted me? How does David know that the affliction of God, this is correlated to the discipline of the Lord, as he, as he wounds us so that he can train us, he can build us up. Why is it that David can say that in faithfulness God has afflicted him? Why is it that David doesn't subscribe to the modern belief that, that God, God doesn't give and take away? God only gives. He's only good. He's only, he's only our sugar daddy. He's only pouring out blessing on us. No, David knows better because David understands what the writer of Hebrews understands. David understands what the rest of the writers of Scripture really understand, and that is that God wounds us to make us stronger and better. And in that affliction, David sees God's faithfulness. But how does he know that God is faithful? Because he has meditated on the righteous judgments of God. He knows that when God corrects him, it is because God is good and because it is needed. I can't tell you how many times I've corrected my daughters and they, they resist at first. They resist because they've done nothing wrong. Of course they've done nothing wrong. Right, right. They've done nothing wrong. They're sweet little angels all the time. Yes, I'm talking to you girls right now. Anyway, they're sweet little angels. No, they're, they're human beings. They fall short constantly. I hope you know that, <laughs> right? Your kids are not just being kids. They're being sinners. <laughs> That's really hard for parents to hear. I don't know why. But anyway, so, so your kids are sinning. Guess what? They often don't take correction because they don't believe that your judgments are righteous. But here's what we need to believe as Christians. God's judgments are. Every time he corrects us, it is good. It is good. So, with that in mind, let's rewind to 73 and 74. David says, Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. This verse definitely had me in tears this week. And here is why. Because as a pastor, I'm always looking for ways that I can, I can do what God wants, I can honor him well, but there is this real issue in me that I believe is in most people, but there's a real issue in me, and that is that I want people to be glad when they, when they are a friend of mine. I want them to be glad in their relationship with me. Now, there's a, a a perversion of that, and that is, I just want all people to like me. Guess what? That's never going to happen, <laughs> right? You have to let that go. But I do, inside of me, I do want people to see me and to be glad. David gives me a snapshot into how I can achieve that. He gives a snapshot for you and how you can achieve it too. Look what he says. He says, may those who fear you, those are the people I want to be glad when they see me anyway, Okay, may those who fear you, uh, fear you, see me and be glad. But why would they be glad? Because David's a cool guy, 
Because David's a man after God's heart. Here's why. Because I wait for your word. You want to be glad of a leader inside of your life? Look for a leader who is, who is waiting on the word of the Lord. If you want people to be glad when they see you, when they experience your presence as a leader, then make sure that you're a person who waits for the word of God. If you're that person, people will be joyful to see you. People will be eager to hear your counsel and to want to hear what you say. Now, there's also another thing, and that is those who do not fear the word of the Lord or fear God, they're never going to be happy to see you no matter what. You cannot try to please that camp of people. So just a little lesson on leadership there, that it is important if we understand the foundation of God's word, that foundation, the waiting on God's word, is actually what makes those who fear God pleased when they see his servants. That's what makes them joyful. That's what makes them glad to see uh, you and I. Verse 89, let's skip down to that. Actually, let's go to 91 first, and I want to back up to 89. Verse 91 says this, They stand this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. What are they stand? What are the they inside of this? Back up to 89, you'll see it. Forever, our Lord, uh, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. There's one. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. There's two. And three, your esta- you established the earth and it stands. What are they? They are the heavens and the earth, the generations and your faithfulness. They stand this day according to your ordinances. Think about this. The heavens and the earth stand because God spoke them. You and I stand because the word of God sustains us and enables us to endure. We cannot live and move and have our being apart from God, apart from his word. It's just not possible. So he says, they, all these things, the heavens and the earth, the generations, your faithfulness, they stand this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. All of these things, the heavens, the earth, everything is a servant to God. I hope you see that as well. So as we move into this, I hope you have really seen the importance of God's word. You you cannot just, many pastors view the word of God or Proclaim the word of God in such a way as to make it feel like Christians have a textbook so that they can pass the test to get into heaven, right? And, and so they correlate the, the word of God turns into a math book, and that's boring to most people, right? But it is not that way. This is a different book. This is a different experience. There is something supernatural that is happening because the foundation of God's word is that he ordained his ordinances that we might walk in them. His very purpose of ordaining them was for our life and our betterment and our joy. So let's move in now to verse 169 through 176. And I believe that the things that you'll see inside of this great uh, segment of Psalm 119 will really, uh, will really uh, encourage you and build you up. Here's what we see. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Give me understanding according to your word. There's the first time we see it, right? Word, and the next verse is going to give word as well. But here's what I want you to notice about this. David is crying out to God, let my cry come before you, O Lord. He's not believing as though he has to ask God to let it happen. That's not the point, right? The point is, he is being, he's living in reverence. King, before his creator, right? Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. So here's my petition, Lord, but here's what I want from you. Here's what I'm asking for, God. Give me understanding according to the warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. Nope. Give me understanding according to a special revelation that I get downloaded straight from you. I'm not suggesting that God doesn't speak to us but it will confirm his word or you didn't hear God. It's it's really important to track with what he said. Give me understanding according to your word. 
I want to grow in my knowledge and my understanding because I want, uh, and I want it to come from your word. That is powerful. When you are seeking God for understanding, please hear me. When you are seeking God for understanding, stop waiting for some sort of voice from heaven. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't listen for a still small voice, but I am telling you that you should go to his word. You should trust what he says. Most likely he's given you the answer already. I would argue he has. And as I've said many times, if you want to hear God speak and you want to hear him speak out loud, read the Bible and read it out loud. It'll work for you, I promise, okay? So let, me, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Verse 170, let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. What is David looking for? David is not looking for God to deliver him the way David thinks he needs to be delivered. This is challenging for us. David is not saying, God, I've cried out to you and I want you to fix my problems and here's how I want you to fix it. This, 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 and this. That's not what he says. He actually says to God, Lord, I want you to fix my problem, but I want you to deliver me according to your word. What does this mean about David's view of God's word? It means, number one, God's word contains how he will deliver us. We can read how God will choose to deliver us. Number two, God's way of delivering us is good. That's why David wants it. That's why David longs for God's delivery method. So let my supplication come before you, but deliver me according to your word. That needs to be our prayer, church. Deliver me, Lord, according to your word. Verse 171, let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Have you ever thought about what causes you to worship? What causes you to praise God? Well, according to David, he is asking God to let his lips utter praise in light of or because he, God, teaches him his statutes. Let me praise you. Let, me, let my lips utter praise for you teach me your statutes. That's the joy David sees in the word of God. That's powerful to me, church. If you're struggling with how to praise God or your heart to praise him, the answer is again, get into his word. It will cultivate a sense of reverence in you. It will develop that piece of reverence. It will also lead you to want to praise him and to, want you to, to, to lead you to want to praise him with your lips, with your declarations, with your praises. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Look at what happens there, too. God is the one who is teaching us his statutes. Now, this becomes a challenge for a lot of people because I know Christians who will double down in passages like this and say, yep, that's right. God teaches me what I need to know. I don't need the church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need any of those things because God's word tells me that he will teach me his statutes. God's word does tell you that. The same word that tells you that also says that God has given to the church, pastors and teachers, prophets, apostles, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. It is, it is short-sighted and it is most likely stubborn pride that leads to that conclusion. That says, I don't need anybody but my relationship with God. You know what happens most of the time with people who only need God and don't listen to what else his word says about the need for the body? They end up believing a bunch of weird things that they stick to all their lives and much to their detriment. They're stubborn, they double down, they hold on to things that they were taught when they were a kid, and meanwhile, those things are wrong. It's a dangerous way to live your life. In the worst case scenario, it's just flatly ignorant in the best case scenario. None of us want to be there. None of us want to be there. So he goes on. He says, uh, let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. And how does God teach his statutes? Through his word, through pastors and teachers, through iron sharpening, iron fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all in the word of God. Verse 173, let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Now, here's another foundational piece, actually, and that is what provokes the praise. It's the commandments of God. But why? 
Because the commandments of God are righteous. They are good. They are right things. Our ways are not. His ways are. His ways are far above our ways. His thoughts far above our thoughts. What we ought to do is humble ourselves, getting into his word and understanding that his ways are righteous. righteous. It will lead us to praise, church. I promise you. Verse 173, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Now this becomes a a bit of an interesting piece, uh, I think, uh, in God's word. So number one, we have David very clearly telling us that he chooses something. He is choosing God's precepts. He wants to follow them. He has chosen that. But he's also asking for something as well. He says, let your hand be ready to help me. Well, this sounds like a give and take thing. Well, it is. And that actually is a part of our relationship with the God of the universe. How many of you know that Scripture tells us, Scripture tells us that, uh, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Our salvation is of God alone. I hope you understand that. But God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He says this, by the way, in the New and in the Old Testament. In Colossians, uh, or, or in, um, yeah, where am I at here? In Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Look at what God says. Look at the, what the word of God says. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That is the reflection of the Shema, right? Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. On these things, all the law and the prophets, by the way, that's the scripture, all the law and the prophets hang on these things. But what does he say? It says that God is looking throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart are completely his. Because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, where do we find this in the New Testament? Well, we actually find it in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, or it'll be on the screen if you can't get there quickly. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is... I mean, why would you come to him if you didn't believe he existed, right? He must believe that he is... And here's the principle, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is a rewarder of the people who seek him. So when this passage comes up, 173, when it says, let your hands be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts, David is saying, I am choosing your ways, Lord. Back me up when I'm in need, need, when when I need help. Back me up. Help me, Lord. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Now, why does David choose those precepts? Well, it actually goes back to that previous verse. And I I didn't touch on two verses that I have in my notes here, but I want to go back to them really quick because I think that they're important. Verse 172 says, Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. All your commandments are righteousness. Look at what, look at what David, or look at what Paul says uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Here's what he says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Can you guys put that up on the screen for me? It's up ahead. I, I skipped over it earlier. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. What is, this, what is this about? Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. All of his commandments are righteousness, and then he says to sing of them. Are we singing them back to God? Not all the time. Not all the time. We are often singing them one to another. Why? Because they encourage and build us up. Remember that this psalm that we're seeing here, that most of us would put into the camp of a song David wrote for God, right? The worship leader known as David wrote for God. The New Testament, Paul says that we should sing even this very hymn or psalm to each other for our encouragement. Again, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. 
His ways are righteous, and we ought to be declaring them and declaring them through our speaking and our singing. But look at what he goes on to say in Colossians. He says basically the same thing, but he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms. Wait a second. It's the word of Christ. Yes, because God inspired all the scripture. So teach them, sing the psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. We're encouraging one another and we're praising God with the hymns. Why do I bring that up? Because it makes the hymns and our study of the word of God and our declaration of the word of God prescriptive. We are to sing the hymns, we are to speak the hymns, we are to declare the hymns for the encouragement of the body. That means we must do the study. We must run to the Word of God and we must proclaim it. It makes all of this prescriptive. This wasn't just David who had a real warm and fuzzy relationship with God. This is the relationship all of us are invited to with our Heavenly Father. And then that relationship affects those around us. So verse 172, verse 173, now let's move to 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. What is David doing here? The same thing that he did in the previous verse up above, 166. David says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do what you say. I hope for your salvation, and I do your commands. Why? David knows salvation comes from God alone. But he also knows that God, in view of mercy, expects us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. David understood the gospel in the Old Testament. We struggle with even understanding the gospel in the New Testament. It's a real sad situation here. But here's what David says. I long for your salvation, O Lord. I know it comes from you and you alone. I long for your salvation. Ah, and your law is my delight. When's the last time you said that? When's the last time you said that? I hear Christians say this all the time, and if I've said it, I I pray that you would forgive me. I hear Christians say, I love the word of God. I just don't like it sometimes. Well, get on it. It's time to repent. It's time to get on understanding and liking the word of God because David says it was his delight. It was his delight. We should hunger and thirst for this word. We've already read that. Verse 175, you uh, let my soul live that it may praise you. Now we're going to get into two really important verses here that I believe have some amazing understanding. But verse 175, let my soul live that it may praise you and let your ordinances help me. Let my soul live that it may praise you and let your ordinances help me. What is David saying and what is David not saying? David is not groveling to God and saying, please don't smite me with a lightning bolt, Lord. Let me live. Please, please, please let me live. You see, David doesn't have that faulty view of God, even the God of the Old Testament. (laughs) He doesn't have that faulty view of God. Even Jonah didn't have that faulty view of God, and Jonah was just goofy. Jonah knew that God was gracious and merciful. That's why Jonah, who was the harsh one, Jonah, who was the one who wanted Nineveh to die, Jonah, who was the the picture of the God of the Old Testament as we've made up, Jonah wanted them to die, but when he preached repentance, they repented, forgiveness, they repented, and he went back to God and said, I knew you'd do this. Do what? I knew you'd forgive them. Why? Because God is gracious. He is forgiving to those who will relent. That's what the Old Testament says about God. David is not then contradicting that and saying, please let me live, Lord. (laughs) That's not what he's saying. Here's what David is saying. That's what David's not saying. Here's what David is saying. Let my soul live that it may praise you and let your ordinances help me to do that. Your ordinances are how I ought to live to please you. If I live my own way, it's not going to be pleasing in your sight. But it is going to be pleasing for my soul, uh, for you, and for my soul to live according to your ways. This is vital because, again, it tells us the word of God is detrimental to our existence. Detrimental to our pleasing God. 
to our honoring him, to our revering him. It's detrimental to the, to the life of our family because we're supposed to share it with them all the days of our life to train them up in the way they should go. That's what the word of God says. We need to get back into it and understand it well. Finally, verse 176. This is, uh, this is extremely powerful. Verse 176. Remember who is talking here. I need you to remember who is talking here. I, David, covenant member of the family of God, an Israelite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, if you will, okay? I, David, have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This is, this is big, church. This is big, church. Again, what is David saying and what is David not saying? First of all, he is not saying, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, but don't worry, I never forgot your commandments. Well, how did he go astray then? It's not what he's saying. That's a hard thing because that's what the English rendering seems like it is communicating. It is not saying that. Here is what David is saying. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. David is saying, seek me, for I don't forget that that's the God that you are. I do not forget that that's the God you are. Why do I know that? Because the word here for commandments is the terms and conditions, according to the lexicon. Terms and conditions of the relationship. God says in his relationship with all of us, if we repent, he will rescue. David is saying, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant because that's what your word says you do. And I believe that. I believe that. Think about it. This is the same thing that happened to the prodigal son. He's in the pigsty. He's getting ready to eat the pods of the pigs. And what does he do in that time? He doesn't say, I'm living righteously. I've never forgot a law of God. He doesn't say that. Instead, what he says is, I remembered the goodness of my father. What is David saying here? I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant because that's the God you are. That's what I remember about you. Help me, Lord. I know you will. That's unbelievable. It actually leads to a really important understanding of another passage in the New Testament. Passages that we have misread for, for quite some time, church. Quite some time. Uh, you guys all remember the passages in Luke 15 where, where we hear the stories of a lost coin and we hear the stories uh, of a lost sheep. Here's what we've missed. We keep reading it as though God leaves the 99 to go after the one and the one is the world. Does God go after the world? Sure, he does. What's the context of Luke 15? Who is Jesus talking to? The lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is going after the lost sheep of Israel because he longs for his family. He is a protector, a caregiver, a gracious and merciful God who wants his people to return to him. Does he want all the world to be saved? Yes, he wants that none should perish, but that all come to everlasting life. That's absolutely true. That's not what Luke 15 is talking about. Luke 15 is reinforcing what David knew. Luke 15 is reinforcing what the prodigal son understood. Luke 15 is reinforcing that God seeks out his lost. Now, can they refuse to repent? Sure. People do all the time. People refuse to repent all the time. People in Israel refused to repent. They were his covenant people. He went to them and they spit in his face and they hung him on a cross, church. And yet he still, hanging there, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't realize that they're rejecting the God of mercy, the one who runs after them. So when we see this passage again in uh, Psalm 119, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. David is serious. He's drifted. 
He's wandered. You and I can do the same thing. We do it all the time, church. God says, I want you to live upright before me. And all of a sudden, we have this vice in our life, this sin that keeps fighting on on us. We struggle with it, we war over it, and we wonder what has happened. And we feel distant from God, don't we? Here's what the power of the word will do. It will remind you, if you will read it, over and over and over and over again. It will remind you of the faithfulness of your creator. The faithfulness, the love, and the mercy of your creator. That will not forget his terms and conditions. You repent, he is coming. You repent, you believe, he's on the way. Church, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, but here's why it's so amazing. Because that's why the word of God was given to us. It's not given to you so that you can pass a test to get into heaven. It is given to you to remind you of the Lord that you serve. He loves you, church. He loves you with a love that you and I cannot comprehend. A love that David understood. A love that the prodigal son understood. A love that Jesus declared. A love that Paul understood. And somehow, it's been a love that we have forgotten. It's something that we have overlooked. Well, I guess God doesn't love me now. I sinned. I fell short. I must be dead to him. You want to know why you feel that way? Let's just be straight. You feel that way because you never pick up your Bible. If you did, you wouldn't think it. You think that way because you don't know his word. You don't understand what the beginning of Psalm 119 said. That God has ordained his precepts that we should keep them diligently. You don't understand verse 2 that said, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Because you don't understand that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You don't understand that he's looking from here to there, across the planet, for people who will give him their whole heart. He's not looking for people who are flawless, who have made every right decision in their life. Because guess what? The record stands. There isn't one. But he is looking for those who will say, God, I love you with all my heart. I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned. I have not done what you expected me to do. I'm not honoring you with my life. In Matthew chapter 5, when we hear this great sermon on the mount and we learn uh, of the Beatitudes, there's an amazing piece here that most people have, uh, again, misunderstood. They, They read the Beatitudes as though it's saying, here are the spiritual activities that you participate so that you can be blessed in the kingdom of God. No, no. These are the realities of the blessed in the kingdom of God. You want to know what's true about a Christian who really believes in Jesus? They are poor in spirit. There's not a moment of arrogance in them. There's no room for it. God rejects the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because we're not a people of war. We're not a people who are trying to to separate ourselves from everybody in a bad way. Instead, we're a people that are on mission to everybody so that God's family is large. That's what we're all about. That's what it means to be God's people. If we understand our word, if we understand the word of God, we will understand that it truly will transform us and change us. We will understand the God that it speaks of, and we will rest in perfect peace in him. God is good, church. He is faithful. His love, his mercy endures forever. And the reason why we have a distorted view of God is because we don't understand him. Now, I could spend all day talking about the opposite distorted view. I could talk all day about the the soft Jesus, the cheap grace, or the costly faithlessness, as Dallas Willard calls it. I could spend all day talking about that. And there is a fine line between these two things. But please understand, if we will read the word of God, what we will come away with is a God of the universe who wants to seek and save the lost, who wants us to repent and trust him, who is leaving the 99 to get after the one who is called on his name. That's the faithfulness of our King Church.
So I hope that you understand the importance of faith. We've talked about that a lot. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I've talked a lot about the fact that without hope, faith can't rest in anything. But what I'm hoping you'll see today is that the word of God is the substance of all of that hope. Everything that you get to rest on and lean on is found in those pages. Read them. Trust them. I don't want you to read the Bible so you can pass a test. I want you to read the Bible so that you can know my king. I want you to read the Bible so that you can know your king. That's why we read. That's why we study. That's why we praise. The scripture is clear. We are to encourage one another with the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs. We are to praise God because we're singing of his power to save. We are declaring that God is faithful, that he is coming for those who have repented and those who call on his name. He's seeking those who will follow after him. That's an amazing, amazing truth. So call on him. Encourage your family with the word of God this week. Encourage your spouse, husbands. Encourage your wife with the word of God this week. You have a responsibility to wash her in that word according to the scripture, just as Jesus is doing his church. So I encourage you to do that. Don't put your responsibility off. Don't slack from that task because what happens when you do is that your household is filled with less and less joy. Why? You don't know the God you serve. Your family doesn't know the God you serve. They just know the world and all of its fears. They know all the things that you do proclaim to them, all the things that you do preach to them, that the economy is sinking, that the, that the virus is going up and down and all these things. Instead, Encourage your family with the word of God. Build them up. Speak of that power to save this week. I want to encourage you all to find an opportunity to not only read the word, but to declare it, to, to proclaim it to someone, right? Whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your friends, whether it's loved ones that you're able to have contact with, proclaim the word of God this week. That word is what we should love and long for. Trust me, church. We need to love it. We need to long for it. God has got great things in store if we will trust Him. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.